that one overstayed its welcome. Not, I mean, except for the end of the film, before the end of the film. Like, nothing else felt like it overstayed its welcome before, before the end of the film, except for that. That was just like, whoa, dude, okay, whoa, okay, stop! Stop! Yeah. Stop! <laughs> this is Movie Bite, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. Today is Wednesday, January 9, 2013. I'm your host, TJ Draper, and I am joined by my ever-awesome co-host, Joseph Darnell. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast, episode 26. All right, well, we got a lot lined up, and we got uh, something special coming after we talk about Django, which uh, we've, we've announced already uh, on the site, but in case you're tuning in and haven't seen that, we're going to announce, finally, at long last, the winner of the HDTV and one-year Netflix subscription. So all of you out there listening, cross your fingers. Uh, it could be you. All right. So what do we got to get started tonight, Joseph? We have a couple of side items. We thought we'd shoot the breeze. Uh, let's see here. Um, one of my favorite topics of all time, and that I discovered from 2011, is some pretty sweet music videos that you can find on YouTube. And uh, in particular... Someone that I found out you're fond of, too, is Lindsey Sterling. Um, yes. I love her dubstep music. I think it's just incredibly easy to listen to while you get work done. And her music videos aren't half bad either. So uh, we'll probably include her info in the show notes. But Lindsey Sterling usually plays these special remixes of very well-known, awesome movie themes and video game themes. And... Sometimes they can be a little snarky, and, but whatever the case, they're they're really fun. Now, did you was it you that introduced me to Lindsey Sterling? I think it was. Um, yeah, uh, no, I think you introduced me to Lindsey. Now that I think about it, what? Yeah, sweet. Yeah, okay, I, I'm well, pretty sure brother, I saw it on your website at the time. It was josephdarnell.com, I believe, before you uh, changed it to Jiving Jackalope. Oh, uh, okay. Well, my brother introduced me to the Piano Guys, and they're these two other guys on YouTube that do a similar thing, and they have been for years. I don't know if they knew Lindsey Sterling before or not, because this is the first video I've seen where the piano guys, they're a guy that plays the cello and another guy who plays the piano, mostly. And what they do in their videos is they go to all these, you know, exotic locales. They stage themselves, you know, suitably for the for the occasion and, and the location. They, they usually dress appropriately, and then... They, the, you know, this guy will be playing the grand piano out on the cliff of a mountaintop. Yeah, it's and then, pretty great. Uh, the other guy, the celloist, he'll he'll be you know playing his cello, uh, you know, nearby or whatever, and you'll be able to see the two of them as they do a duet together of say a suite from Lord of the Rings or something. But anyway, they, they're fabulous. You can find their music on iTunes, and I need to go download some more of them. Yeah, so. I've got one of their albums, but uh, I need to get caught up because there's they keep coming out with these songs or music videos and stuff that I'm really interested in. And uh, this one is just awesome, and it relates. I was able to post it on Movie Byte because it relates to Mission Impossible. It's the Mission Impossible theme, and the, this whole this whole music video is kind of structured around the uh, mission, like a Mission Impossible kind of an old style, old school. Uh, stealing something or other. I, I didn't quite follow the narrative, but it didn't matter because it was uh, it was really awesome. <laughs> and so I'll put that link in the show notes. Uh, you will find the show notes for this episode at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 26. 
for those listening live, I'm sorry uh, you don't get to see those until uh, the episode goes live tomorrow. Uh, but someday I'm going to modify the Movie Bite site so that I can put the episode in draft mode and let people listening live see it. Hmm. Yeah, let's. Yeah, well, that'd be great. But uh, I can put that. In the, I can put that in the chat room though. So anyway, uh, yeah. That well, that, the, uh, yeah, So the fun thing is, is that yeah, you you were able to put this music video up on MovieByte.com, and it's just. Uh, uh, it's really creative. You like it. I mean, it. yeah, I mean, the the Mission Impossible theme is very familiar to us. And yeah, I figure most people, it, it's probably more familiar than the theme of Jurassic Park or Superman, or maybe even, I dare say, the Imperial March. But, well, let's not get carried away. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, there's a lot of people that know that tune. You know, it goes all the way back to the Mission Impossible TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I like the Mission Impossible theme. Don't get me wrong. So, yeah. Anyway, so, we, so I, I just I was super impressed by their spin on it, so and the music it video is fun to watch too. All right. The next item in our uh, episode outline here is that you wanted to talk about the six Gangster Squad clips that I posted recently. Well, here's the reason why. You know, the the movie trailer has essentially been the same for Gangster Squad since March 2011, and it's only now that they're stepping up the game in the marketing blitz and. You know, I really like the cast of characters. Uh, Ryan Gosling, obviously. Um, I know that a lot of women think of him as the heartthrob, and so does <laughs> Hollywood, and right. that seems to be what they play up. But Ryan Gosling is just a great actor, and I like his fresh face. There's a lot of people in Hollywood, they get used over and over again. I'm thinking about you, Tunkers, and they just need to die, or they need to leave, or they need to change their roles. <laughs> they need to be used for something else and allow some new young guy to come along and do the younger roles. Or let's you know, I know Ryan Gosling's like forty something anyway, but he looks younger. He no, really he didn't. Does. I didn't know that. I, he looks much younger than that to me. I'm, I'm, I'm fact checking you, man. That doesn't sound right to me. Yeah, you go ahead. I, I know he. I know he's in his upper thirties if he's not hit forty yet. And the guy, the guy's just great. I, I you, like. You his, are like incorrect, him. Joseph. Well, how old is he? Uh, he was born in 1980. Well, okay, he's over thirty. Oh, he is shoot, just barely right. over he's 30. Like 32. He's not 40. I don't know what you're talking That sounds much, much closer to me. Anyway, really? so just, just fact-checking you on the air here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I, st- I sit corrected. I'll put that. So, uh, yeah, I found Ryan, that on uh, IMDb. I'll put that in the show notes. Hmm. So anyway, other great, great people in this film, you know. Um, what was his name? Uh, Holt? No, that's not who I'm thinking about. Yeah, well, obviously, we know there's Sean Penn. And yeah, and I, I haven't seen the film yet, of course. It's not out yet. Uh, but he looks like he's going to be fantastic in the role to me. I'm, and I've not been a huge Sean Penn fan, but it looks good to me from, from the trailers, for sure. Right. Well, the other guy I was thinking about was Josh Brolin, you know, who played the young yes. Tommy Lee Jones character. Or what was his name? Uh, K? Agent yes, K? Yes, Agent K. And I haven't seen him in anything else, so this should be interesting. Yeah. I, I am really looking forward to this film. Uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic film. I've been wrong before, but this one feels yeah. like it's going to be a fantastic film. And, and if you're looking for something, though, that can whet your appetite, then check out these six videos, because they're clips of the film that don't really give away the movie. I know there's a lot of people out there. they got to avoid their spoilers and all. But if you're, you know, straddling the fence, not quite too sure of it, I was kind of convinced after this, after seeing these six clips, if I wasn't already going to review it, seeing these clips convinced me, yeah, I, I would like to see this film. Yeah, no, it, it, it looks really good for sure. So check out the clips. Uh, I enjoyed watching them. 
Uh, all right. Uh, you wanted to talk. Didn't we talk? Did we not talk about this last week? I Forgive me. I don't remember. Hans, the Hansel and Gretel red band trailer. I'm sure now, we, we did. Talked about, well, we talked about Hansel and Gretel in large part, but I, I wanted to bring this back up again because, oh, I know why it came up again. Okay, well, we can entirely skip it. But here, here's the thing. Well, go ahead and the mention Hans- what you... If you want to mention something about it, go ahead. I just wanted to make okay. sure that I wasn't dreaming that we talked about because it Because I'm still, I'm still mulling over this. I don't like anything about this production. Yeah, and you here's said what, that. Here's what bothers me. One, the name Hansel and Gretel. It has nothing to do with Hansel and Gretel. It's just, I mean... And why would you even use that reference, culture reference? Because the problem with using that culture reference is it's, it's tied to classic literature you know fairy tales but i mean i grew up on fairy tales and not once did any of my my teachers or my parents read me the story of hansel and gretel i I know of it but i think it's uh cultural relevance is obscured The, the you know how i know about hansel and gretel i watched a lot of bugs bunny cartoons and when i was a kid there was this one where uh hansel and gretel are scampering away from the witch's cottage when Bugs Bunny doesn't run into them, and he he he's going around, and I don't remember why, but he ends up in the witch's cottage, and he's trying to escape the cottage and get away from the witch. <laughs> and so then I asked somebody, well, who is Hansel and Gretel, who you get a glimpse of at the beginning of the cartoon? And that's how I found out. Somebody told me. But it just seems like that's an obscured culture referen- reference. And then the fact that these are older, I mean, come on, Hansel and Gretel grown up. Seriously? Uh, why? It's like, we don't need to hear the story of, you know, the big bad wolf in his old age and how he's mistreated because a long time ago he tried to eat grandma. You know, you don't just need to make up a new spin on things associated to a specific piece of literature that has nothing to do with your spin on things. Why not? Because it's stupid. (laughs) It's insipid. Well, you have spoken and so shall it be. Mm. Yes. All right. Well, I mean, you know, I disagree, so... I'm looking forward to lampooning this thing a little bit more. Okay. Sure. Well, I mean, that's just your prerogative, man. Hmm. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about your Hitchcock review a little bit, which I'm pulling up here so I can be informed. Oh, right. Joyous occasion. Yes. And uh, this one, I, I've been pushing you to get this out because you said you wanted to write this review, but then and we saw this film like uh, s- several weeks ago, and I said, what, where's your review, Joseph? Where's your review? Where's your review, man? It needs to be on the site. So finally, finally, yesterday, uh. finally. You released it. Not yesterday, right. Tuesday. Uh, yeah, no, that was yesterday. This is Wednesday. <laughs> right. And, and I wish I could brag that I was working on it and I it just went through a thousand drafts until it was perfected to, you know, <laughs> the, its greatest potential and then I could release it to the public. But no, uh, it's just another tra- uh, another review that when I got around to it, it got out. And the thing was, you know, De- December was a really super busy month for us in the movies and we were spitting out new reviews left and right. We're still not quite caught up. No, we're not. Uh, yeah, TJ, there needs to be like two of us. No, no, like, you know, yeah, two we, of each of us. And we need to do like, more than one podcast a week in order to keep up. Yeah. So Which is anyway, not going to happen, so sorry. No, no <laughs> absolutely not. You can, you, can, you can look at the, you can, you know, you can, you can dream, but you're not going to get it. So, Hitchcock... It stars Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren, if you were wondering why it's worth mentioning. And to boot in a supporting role, there is Scarlett Johansson and Jessica Biel. And it tells the story of um, director and filmmaker Alfred Hitchcock while he was producing the movie Psycho. 
1960. So it's a biopic about Hitchcock and his wife, Alma Hitchcock. Or did she go by another name? I think she. I no, don't think I don't she think had the so. last name Hitchcock. Did she? I thought she went by. I'm not sure. I thought she did, but I don't remember. I'll look it up. But well, hey, why don't you tell people a little bit more? Uh oh, great. Put me on the spot. Uh, what am I supposed to do here? Well, did you like my review? Uh, yeah, I. Um, yeah, I she did. had a different name. She had you, a different name. Okay. She went by Alma Revel. Okay, I didn't remember that. Uh, yeah, I'd I like to review okay. I think you were a little harsher on it than I would have been. I, I enjoyed it just a bit more than you did. I would have given it probably three and a half, pushing four stars. Uh, you gave it three stars, uh, and I thought you were a little bit nitpicky. Hmm. But, because uh, I, I really did, I, unexpectedly, I and maybe, again, maybe it was my low expectations. I went into this film not expecting much, and uh, I liked it a lot. And I yeah, had, I had been anticipating it most of the year. I was really disappointed just that it didn't have a wide release. I mean, even that was, if you that didn't was certainly care the most it, frustrating thing for sure. Yeah, I mean, here you got stars, superstars, and yeah, no one's heard of the of the director, but even the story is interesting. You got Psycho. You've got you know, you got the story of Psycho in the making. Everybody has seen Psycho. Everybody loves it, and everybody loves to come back to that story. There, that's why there's. Uh, at least I th- can think of um, two remakes of that one story. And then there's been additional sequels. So, so it seems like this film should have got more production attention and marketing than it did. It, I, it sure seems that way. It, it does seem odd to me. I, I was surprised by the lack of marketing and by the lack of a wide release. And it was frustrating to try to find it in theater anywhere. And we finally, uh, it wasn't, I happened to be visiting you in uh, Georgia and, uh, it just it, we happened to find it at a theater, and it wasn't our first pick for us to go see together a film together. But it was pr- practically the only thing showing that we hadn't both seen. And I was, you know, it, it, it was just frustrating because it wasn't playing anywhere hardly. So. Yeah, and I, I have to wonder about that. I I know that the director, um, what's his name, Sasha Gervasi, Gervasi. He, uh, he's, he's yeah, he's he's been a fairly decent writer for films and one of his the thing he's most well known for is writing the terminal which starred tom hanks okay Catherine zeta jones but that film didn't do all that well either so i don't know how he landed this film i thought he did a fabulous job directing the cast i think that the film uh had a few missteps in how it delivered the story but i don't think that's the fault of the cast so much as the way in which it was edited in the way in which it was represented beat for beat. And a screenwriter would know what I'm talking about, but just the way that sometimes things came across as forced that were, that were delivered, when I don't think that was the failing of the actors, oddly enough, you'd have to see the film perhaps to know what I mean. Ordinarily, when a scene isn't working, you can attribute it to the cast if you're saying that it feels forced. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, I felt like it was the direction that makes the film's story comes across as forced. So, a little peculiar there, but I guess the general public kind of agrees with me. Um, it, yeah, it's getting a 7.1 on IMDb, so people like it. It's worth checking out. Look at my review. Yeah, and again, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, this this podcast is not a review of that film, so we'll we'll move on. But uh, I enjoyed it, and I, I, I would recommend it. It's... Uh, I, I did do my homework, uh, and I watched Psycho uh, before. It's the only Alfred Hitchcock film I've actually seen, so shame on me. But um, mm. 
it uh you know psycho wasn't that great of a film in my opinion uh you know it's it's something of a legend or whatever but i you know whatever i take it or leave it but but the film the making of psycho was much more interesting (laughs) yeah you have to have an appreciation for classics in general if you're going to appreciate hitchcock you know black and white films the way that by today's standards the acting was campy and sometimes the sets can get in the way and special effects obviously oh and not to mention the soundtrack like everything was different back then and it's very difficult to i think for modern audiences to appreciate older films for the same reason that modern audiences have a you know you know on the you know on the grand scale have a difficulty appreciating classical music or musicals you know they they're from a bygone era and it's uh they're not going to be widely accepted now you wanted to talk about this uh, other director potential well i just wanted to mention it uh because we've talked about it on the podcast before and it's you know kind of a follow-up item now i Mm. i didn't practice this name and i know you're not supposed to pronounce the l's (laughs) it's guillermo is that it call him call him mr del toro yeah guillermo del toro he turned down he was offered star wars and he turned it down so um I'd, I have to respect him for that. Sure, if he turned you, you it do. Down, I'm very glad he did because <laughs> he must he obviously didn't want to do it. Yeah, so I mean, it's just interesting. I do. I I don't know that we've had a confirmed director added to this project yet or not. Uh, and and my my hope my my, uh, my hopes for the film are pretty low, and that's probably why so many people are rumored to be turning it down is because they're probably thinking the same thing. Who wants to direct Star Wars? I mean, Star Wars has been. Uh, it was uh, the Empire Strikes Back was the peak, and now it's over. <laughs> you know <laughs> right so <laughs> yeah i totally agree well i guess that's that i mean okay so you want to talk about jingo i'm ready i am oh, ready or to- did you want did you want to mention the the winner did you want to talk about the giveaway? no, no. didn't you haven't you looked at the outline that that comes last oh 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 right oh right okay so our listeners have to wait for the end that's right oh. we're here today to talk about jingo unchained which uh I saw you. You and I both saw this past week, right? Or yep. I, yeah, I saw I saw it on uh, Saturday, and I think you saw it on Friday. Is that right? Well, actually, I think I saw it Christmas week. Uh, yeah, I saw it before oh. New Year's. Okay, okay. So Django, what can be said <laughs> about Django Unchained? Well, a lot can be said. I think the first thing that everybody needs to be told, if they didn't already know was that it's directed by Quentin Tarantino, and it <laughs> stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Jamie Foxx, and Christoph Waltz. Oh, and Samuel Jackson. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what you need to know up front. Yeah, and, uh, uh, well, I mean, Tarantino, I mean, anybody who's familiar with Tarantino's work probably should understand this already, but it is a very violent and bloody film. I mean, if you don't have the stomach for that, uh, stay away from this one. <laughs> it's, it's very violent and bloody, for sure. And, yeah, well, I mean, we can talk about the content here in a little bit. I wanted to talk a bit more about the production and the story. I think a lot of people are unclear as to what this movie is going to be about. The trailer uh, suggests the spirit of the film, like so many of Tarantino's trailers do, without really explaining the story. I I was mystified by the trailer, to be honest, because it, it, it just shows a lot of interesting expressions. Like, there was this one camera move where they show... Leonardo DiCaprio's back sitting down in a couch and he turns around 
looks at the camera. The camera quickly zooms in on his head and he smiles a big Cheshire cat, you know, grin. And and it was kind of like, that was the consistency of most of the trailer. Right. And so that's what a lot of the public thinks about this. It's not clear. I, I took it to be, um, slightly misrepresentative of the story. Huh. That's interesting. See, I've heard that before. I found the film to be quite in line with the trailer from exactly what I, kind of what I was expecting. I, did, I can't say I was surprised by anything. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. Uh, before we dive in, uh, we should uh, talk a little bit more. Th- this was this was released on Christmas Day. It's an interesting choice. To me, it's always an interesting choice to release a film yeah. on Christmas Day, and especially a film like this. I mean, yeah. on the Competing one hand... with Les Miserables. <laughs> Les Miserables, yeah. It, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, I, I would not release, if it were me, any film on Christmas Day, but Les Mis certainly seems like a better choice to release on Christmas Day because people are going to be in good spirits and high spirits and eh, don't want to be drugged down by a... Uh, not only a bloody and violent film, but a very thought-provoking film, and a film about deep subject matter like Tarantino's uh, Django Unchained. So uh, it's an interesting choice, but it, it, nevertheless, that's when it was released, was December the 25th. Uh, it had a budget of $100 million. It opened to uh, $30 million, uh, on the opening weekend. The current box office domestic total is at $110 uh, million. So... It's uh, it's 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 made a little more than its budget back, so I suppose that's a good sign. Mm. And I don't think the worldwide box office results is available. Does that mean it's not been released internationally? I don't know. I have. I didn't. Uh, it's been a crazy day for me. And you you did the show outline mostly, and I haven't had a chance to look for that uh, stat. Mm. But I see that in the outline that it's not available. So. Right. Uh, I would assume that the just film. means that it ha- either hasn't been released worldwide, or just simply just those you know nobody's tabulated those results. Right. Now the film, you know, it's it's set during the uh I think it's pre-Civil War. Yeah. Yes. You know, I think it's 4 years before the Civil War. I believe that's what the thing said. You know, obviously in America in the South. And so the film actually has like practically nothing to do with American history, but it's set in that time frame. So you have to understand some things about the culture going into the film. The nature of slavery during that time for instance, uh you have to have a basic understanding of what the common perception is of Southerners and slavery from that time in history. And then going into it, you got to acknowledge this is a film that is heavily influenced by Tarantino's special gifts at sens- uh, sensationalism. Yes, so, <laughs> for sure. So, well, yeah. it's, it's definitely historical fiction and heavy on the fiction part. I mean, it has good themes and good you know, motives for sure. But yeah, you uh, know, most of Tarantino's f- films feel like a graphic novel come to life. And yeah. I don't think anybody would expect this to be true to life. But then again, I, I think that you could, I don't know, I imagine you could release this in some cultures in, in the world and people who are less familiar may get the impression because it was set in the old South that somehow it's representative of history or a true story. It's obviously not. Well, here's the story. Here's our storyline. Straight from the production company. Here it is. Set in the South two years before the Civil War, Django Unchained stars Jamie Foxx as Django, a slave whose brutal history with his former owner's land, him in a face-to-face with with this German-born bounty hunter, Dr. Keen Schultz. And he's uh, played by Christoph Waltz. 
Yeah, I love Christoph Waltz. Have I mentioned hey, wait, that? Wait, wait, wait. Let's, 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 I have a lot to say about that. Why don't you go ahead and just finish reading that <sighs> before okay. you start talking about it? <laughs> Schultz is on the trail of the murderous Brittle Brothers, and only Django can lead him on his bounty. Honing vital hunting skills, Django remains focusing on his goal, uh, finding and rescuing uh, Broomhilda, played by Carrie Washington, who is the wife he lost to the slave trade long ago. Django and Schultz's search ultimately leads them to Calvin Candy, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, the proprietor of, quote, Candyland, an infamous plantation. Exploring the compound under false pretenses, Django and Schultz arouse the suspicion of Stephen, played by Samuel Jackson, Candy's trusted house slave. Okay, now we can talk about Christoph Waltz. Did he not steal this movie? This movie was not did not star Jamie Foxx. It starred Christoph Waltz. <laughs> I mean, oh, wow. Absolutely and undeniably so. It, it was uh, just... Have you, so, seen, have you seen him before in anything else? I haven't, and he was fantastic. You know, wow. most any movie with him in it is worth watching just for his sake. He, he is a fabulous performer that where i discovered him was in inglorious bastards another uh another tarantino film yeah i was listening to the slash film cast uh right after actually on my way home from the theater i had been saving the episode on django uh. and they talked about him in inglorious bastards and uh i have not seen that film but uh i may have to now knowing that he's yeah. in it and uh yeah high he's praise a- i have not heard any bad things at all about christoph waltz in this film or in any other film right and you know another film i thought that he did a f- great performance in was a a very pathetic film. Um, what was it? Water for Elephants. It starred Robert Pattinson and Reese Witherspoon. But he plays this uh, brutal, angry, uh, mean circus master. And, you know, the performances from Reese Witherspoon and Robert Pattinson, th- theirs just looked pathetic next to Kristoff. Mm, just in a different uh, league. Completely. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just, I, boy, how do you, how do you say enough good things about this performance? It was very obvious that he really dived into this character that he was playing, and and it was very uh, believable. It was very, uh, very well done. I mean, just he it, he relished the character. Yeah. Now, what something I find peculiar about his performances when I look at them. Uh, and I review them more and more in the back of my mind. I mean, we just we just elaborated on how we feel he steals the scene or how he steals the movie. But all things considered, the more I've pondered Christoph Waltz, he is a smart, funny, and beautiful man. And in every, he, he really rocks a beard. And in every <laughs> role I've seen, he's nailed the characters. And he's played tough-as-nails bad guys, and he's played some soft hardies. But and then everything in between, and I love his complicated characters. So then, while many of his, uh, while many actors uh, uh, who have a similar level of talent s- typically steal the show with their presence in a movie, you know, Samuel Jackson can, typically does this. For instance, um, Daniel Day Lewis does this with their brilliant performances. They typically steal the movie from the other actors' performances. I don't feel that way about Kristoff. Yeah, maybe stealing is the wrong word to use, because it. Uh, I, I loved it, though. It was very good. He's very appropriate and awesome, but he, I, I think that he's he is always the awesome sauce about any film. So, yeah. that's Kristoff Walsh for you. 
Yeah, and then my second favorite performance, again, not Jamie Foxx, but Leonardo DiCaprio. I've, I've, this is, this, this role, I, I mean, I think he was, I think he was made for this role. Wow. I mean, I've never seen him <laughs> as good in any other role. It was, well, again, it was a You know, a lot of people would say that about Leonardo's performances in most of his films, you know. I've seen a few of his films, and I still think this is the best performance I've ever seen from him. Now, why would you say that, though? I mean, grant you, is this the first time he's played a flat-out villain? Maybe. I've, I don't think I've seen him as a villain before. And, and again, uh, I hate to use the same word to describe him that I use for Kristoff, but again, he seemed to relish the role. I mean, he really... Um, Absolutely. He really dived into it. Uh, uh you believed he was completely insane by the end of that. Uh, <laughs> just he would, right. I mean, <laughs> Chris. Well, be th- let's let's th- uh, take a, a look here quickly at the top more recent films that he has done. You know, he's known for the Titanic, but he's also known for The Departed, Inception, Shutter Island. He, he had he, and all these are dark roles or very serious, somber, melodramatic roles. And that's the way, I mean, like, think about some of the other movies he's been in. Blood Diamond, uh, Body of Lies, Revolutionary Road. I mean, mm-hmm. for the most part, he, he plays, has played serious, somber, dark, melodramatic things, you know, you know m- m- films. It seems like this was actually his day off in this film, and he got to just l- liven it up. He, he, he brings the lighthearted side of DiCaprio to it. But the the beautiful irony is here that his villain is a real creep. He, he's one of the worst. He, he is just exceptionally uh, twisted. Twisted, yes. Twisted and evil. Uh, he, he, you really believe that he has to be quite crazy to just, just to, to that his character relishes you know, his name, Calvin Candy, so much as that he would, <laughs> he would call his plantation Candyland. Yeah, and, and uh, like I said, he really dived into that role. Uh, so finally, finally, after the first two, even though Jamie Foxx is supposed to be the star of this film, uh, finally we get to Jamie Foxx, and he did a, he did a good job. I, there was nothing about his performance. He wasn't a particularly likable character he was at first. Like, I found myself liking him more at the beginning of the film than some of the stuff that he was willing to do to get his wife back. I don't blame the guy. Uh, and again, I'm I'm uh, anthropomorphizing the the film, but I don't blame the guy, <laughs> the, the fictional characters, but I don't blame the guy for wanting to get his wife back, but he was willing to do some pretty, you know, crazy things to do it. And uh, it was even, even though, you know, you had Christoph Waltz's character, uh, who, who, you know, he killed people for a living uh, as a bounty hunter. Even he was getting a little uncomfortable, you know? And uh, Jamie Foxx, he was willing to... Uh, I should quit calling these characters by their actors' names. Um, <laughs> you should. Uh, Django was willing to uh, do whatever it took to get his wife back, even if that was a little bit immoral. You know? So, uh, but I, it was a good good performance by Jamie Foxx. I have nothing to complain about. Well, you know who I, uh, I mean, I, I actually, to be honest, I, I felt kind of neutral towards Jamie Foxx's performance because he kind of plays your run in the middle hero. That's kind of quiet and keeps to himself. He just wants to figure out the way to do the one thing he really believes in. Uh-huh. And so at the beginning of the film, he just doesn't seem to have any hope there. But then the Dr. King Schultz comes along and gives him all kinds of hope and shows him the way that he can get back his, uh, his wife who's in slavery. The one that I thought stands out 
as a terrific supporting character uh, performance is uh, that of Samuel Jackson. Absolutely. Wasn't that fun? Yeah. You know, you could forget about Jamie Foxx altogether and talk about Samuel Jackson because his is more than just another performance from Jackson. It's a, Stephen is a complicated racist black man. And uh, since he's black, it makes him all the more disturbing in his own way how he runs this plantation as the manager. Yeah, well, it's it's very interesting um, because this film is obviously making a statement, and, and not even a bad statement. It's a good statement about racism and uh, slavery in the South at the time. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, I completely yeah. agree. It was a problem. I, uh-huh. I don't know to what extent all the, all the things that are portrayed are over the top or true or not. I have no doubt that there were slave owners who were very nasty and mean yeah. to their slaves. There is no doubt. So yes. and it, and it was a really, as far as I'm concerned, kind of a dark period uh, in the history of the United States. Um, but I was surprised that with Samuel Jackson and his role, essentially for our listeners, he was playing a, as you said, a racist black man. But he was kind of the top dog. He was uh, <laughs> he a contradiction was, in terms in so many ways. Right. He in in many ways he had kind of the power he wasn't going anywhere uh he he could say anything he wanted to to calvin candy he wasn't he wasn't going to be fired or let go or put to death or sold he was there and he was the top dog and it made him very racist uh it made him very uh towards his own people even um He, he did things that were not cool. And I was surprised that the film made that statement. And I was just as surprised that Samuel L. Jackson, uh, known for uh, his views on these matters, was willing to play that role. I guess he saw it as, as true and essential and part of the necessary storyline. Uh, but it was kind of surprising to me. Uh, pleasant, pleasantly so, actually. Now, you know, Quentin Tarantino, um, the director, though, he wrote this story, too, right? And yes, he did. From he, what also, I understand- he also had a cameo in the film. <laughs> Yes, and I, I thought he did it just fine. Yeah, no, it was fine. The, now, the thing is, though, Tarantino, he is known for his complex movies that deal with racism. And there's been a lot of his other films that dealt with, uh, like, excessive uses of the word nigger. Yes, and, and that was uh, in this film as well. <laughs> right. And, and from what I learned, actually, just this week, I think he came from a broken family. He grew up in a broken family. He was actually raised by a black couple or something like that. So, in in, in when you take that into, into mind, realize that he actually he's very familiar with a, a side of culture that a lot of people miss out on in Hollywood, even that, that it's not represented. Yeah, um, and not just the you know a, that particular subculture, the black community in in, in large part. It seems like a lot of their films misrepresent them. Hmm. In this film, it seems like they're treated respectfully, but it's demonstrated that, you know, I mean, there is an ounce of truth in this film, and that is for the life and times of these characters, Calvin Candy and characters like Dr. King Schultz, portrayed just before the, the beginning of the American Civil War, there was actually a lot of, there was a lot of blame on both sides of the slavery issue. Sure. And not every, every, everybody slave, a slave was a pure soul, you know? Of course not. Just, and, just, uh, just like, I mean, they're humans, just like right. uh, us white folks are, um, you know? And, and, and we, we very much appreciate their plight and think that, you know, slavery is a very 
dark, wrong, you know, agree, uh, uh, struggle, you know, terrible, tearful issue. But this film demonstrated quite effectively another side of the complexity of slavery in the in all of American culture. So, yeah, I, I, I just want to say I, that kind of really impressed me. Uh, as it usually does with Tarantino films, when he deals with racism of, of one variety or, or another, um, you know, in, in *Inglorious Bastards*, he did it with the Nazis, opposed to the Jews and everybody else. So, yeah, he's gonna, really good at this stuff. I'm gonna have to see that film. I just, I have just a couple more things on my like category, and then we can get to our dislikes. Um, and one of those is. Uh, the dialogue, uh, I think you've already alluded to this. It was very smart, very well written. I mean, I guess this is probably uh, indicative of Tarantino. Like, he probably, this is probably uh-huh. his norm. But I, right. I, it's rare to find a film which I think the dialogue is so smartly written. And this was, this was one of those films. Aside from, again, <laughs> a lot of cursing and swearing, no doubt. Uh, and it is an R-rated film. But uh, when you know, aside from that, I thought that the dialogue and the way it was put together, and and the story that it was told, even with just the dialogue, uh, was fantastic. So, yes, yeah, and, uh, and in in general, I wanted to also sing the praises of the amazing old fashioned form of cinematography. I just love yes. the old fashioned soundtrack. Um, the yeah, journey, I you it, know, I didn't care for the. Um, the theme song, which was like, you know, the Django or whatever, but the music <laughs> oh, itself, even it. though the music was very modern, it, it worked. I, I just, there was something about it that worked. Yeah. Uh, and I've heard, I've heard before that Tarantino is good at, at music and picking right. out music and stuff. So, uh, I, I wasn't, except for the theme song, I was, you know, which I wasn't impressed with, but, but more than that, yeah, the, the film had a very old school feel, feel, mm-hmm. uh, it didn't feel like an old film, but it had an old school feel to it. Uh, and, and I don't know if you've heard any of the rumors circling about Tarantino uh, saying that he's probably going to be retiring if he can't shoot on film anymore, actual celluloid film. Uh, if, he, mm. if he's forced by the studio to shoot digitally, he's just going to retire. So it's not surprising, but the cinematography had a very old school approach, even even with some techniques that I would avoid, even though right. I like old school te- uh, cinematography, like the zooms and stuff. Right. I would stay way far away from that, but he, he dove right into that, and, and it worked for the film. He I mean, knows it like the back of his hand. Yeah. Well, those, those zooms, though, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where all of a sudden he yeah. just like, zooms into a character. You saw a couple of them in the trailer, and it's all through the film. It definitely has that old school feel, and I, for the most part, I really appreciated that. Yeah, it, it's like a journey down memory lane enhanced with prettier visual effects. Yes. Yeah, and, definitely. And the locations, the style, the playfulness of the storytelling are always things that I enjoy about Tarantino films. And I enjoy the vibe of his film that the, that his films portray, like the trailer in and of itself. It's just uh, it seems very fun. It's it's uh, it seems like candy <laughs> cinematically. It just is, and uh, it really stands out. You, I I will never mistake a Tarantino film as being someone else's. Yeah. Very distinct way of filmmaking. All right. Are we ready to talk about what we might not have liked about this film? I have mm-hmm. a list. Do you have a list? Sure. All right. Well, the first thing that I wanted to mention is what was up with the flashbacks? They were weird and disjointed. I mean, like, I never knew. I, I mean, normally there's a convention or a way to throw you into the flashback, and these just sort of popped up, but they were very strange. Now, can you give us some, some specifics? Uh, what, what were these flashbacks? 
Um, well, like one, uh, there was a, there's several flashbacks throughout the film, like, uh, when, uh, Jamie Foxx's character, Django, would be remembering, uh, his wife or, or kind of maybe it was a device that he was remembering to tell the story of how he and, and, uh, his wife were trying to escape. Uh, right. and, and they just, they felt very, um, strangely enough, unorthodox. I mean, for, for something that was so, um, you know, so old school cinematography, uh, it was very unorthodox the way the flashbacks happened, and I found it disjointed and disconcerting. Well, I, I can tell you the uh, the reason for it right now, and that is because uh, Quentin Tarantino, he has a track record for botching up flashbacks, but he does them all the time. Huh. I, I haven't been happy with most any of his flashback sequences in most of his films. And in, if, for instance, uh, one that really suffers is Kill Bill 2. Kill Bill 1 had several flashbacks, but then Kill Bill 2 was told as a sequel that like incorporated so many flashbacks, it might as well have been a prequel and then uh, to the first Kill Bill film. And it just seems like, you know, they're different, they're they're eccentric, and yeah, maybe they work for some people, but I have to agree that his techniques applied to flashbacks in general have always suffered. When it came to this film, I actually felt like they were uh, better, but I can't say that I thought that they were all that great. Mm. You're right, they just do feel out of place. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I have heard a theory different from what you're saying. What you're saying, they're always bad. My, the theory that I heard, uh, and I heard this on the Slash Filmcast when I was listening to it, is that um, the, the, actually the person positing this on, the, on that podcast stated that he thought that this whole film felt disjointed in a way that previous Tarantino films had not, and he thought it was directly related to the fact that uh, previous to this film, every Tarantino film has been edited by Sally Menke, who has passed away. So uh, they they attribute it to the fact that he's working with an editor he doesn't know and who's just not as good as Sally or whatever. Um, I don't know if I buy that, but that's that's what they said. And but you're saying that this is attributed uh, an attribute of all Tarantino films, perhaps. Right, um, and I'm not saying that you know all Tarantino films are you know the same. The they obviously reek of being Tarantino films. I like some <laughs> yeah. more. I like some more than others, and. In this case, this is actually one of my, the ones I personally enjoy more than some of the others. So the thing is, though, that, yeah, I, I still stand by what I said. I, I just don't think that usually his flashbacks work. Okay. Uh, now, well, now, can, I, can I share one of my dislikes? You may. Thank you, sir. Um, there wasn't enough of Dr. King Schultz. Yeah, that that actually kind of ties into one of my dislikes, which I can go ahead and talk about now since it's related. Oh, okay. Right, go uh, ahead. That is that the ending um, was kind of killed. It kind of killed the movie because we lost Christoph Waltz. Uh, uh, oh, man. You know what? Back up. Spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I, I'm sorry to drop that on you. Um, the uh, Losing Christoph Waltz and Leonardo DiCaprio's characters... Uh, I mean, what twenty five or thirty minutes before the end of the film? That kind of that kind of destroyed the film. That from that point on, the film just lost momentum for me. Hmm. It, it became kind of a killing fest, um, which you know Tarantino <laughs> films are that. But it, at least it felt like it had a plot and a purpose up to that point. And now all of a sudden, you know, well, okay, 
Uh, we can kind of. This is kind of a paint by numbers film after this point. Now, right. now uh, Django's gonna go get. A, he's gonna get away, and he's gonna get his revenge. I mean, right? And no, that, it, it, the film it got so bad after Calvin Candy and Doctor Schultz were killed that it should have been dubbed, or the film should be named from that moment forth, Django Unhinged. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, and and that so that that definitely ties in. There, uh, I wish that even though uh, Christoph Waltz felt like he took over the film in a good way, I wish there had been more. You're right, and and losing him before the end of the film just just bad, just bad. That it it felt like he ran out of time to properly edit and write the the script of the uh, final thirty minutes of the film. But then again, the thing is, if you consider it in light of his other films, it seems like it's you, there's, there was no mistakes about it. The, the, the last 30 film, minutes of the film were faithful to the director's film style. Now, I'm not saying that all of his films in Thusly, it's just that the, those characteristics that were all compacted into the last 30 minutes are usually mixed throughout and, and so the first, it seemed like, relatively speaking, for a Tarantino film, the first half of the film is relatively clean. Um, and, for, for a Tarantino and, film. Right. And not, not just that it's cleaner, but it's dealing a lot with story, with its narrative. It's fleshing out characters. It's, it's progressing their journey. But then for the last half of this film, it gets more and more into angst until it's like, a boil just popped and it goes crazy dangerous. Yeah. And it, and it kind of contrary to the rest of the film, which felt like it had good story. It felt like the story just sort of fell off the cliff, you mm-hmm. know, it just yeah. went away. Now uh, this ties in again to one of my other dislikes. What is the runtime of this film? Do you remember? Is it, is it two and a half or right around there? Two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. I was gonna say it's very long and, uh, kind of very related to the fact that the ending felt so disjointed and weird is that I feel like the film is just in general too long. Uh, as again, as I do with most films these days, what is up with films these days? What, what, where are all the good editors? This is what, this is what <laughs> editors do is they say, this film is too long. We must cut something out. <laughs> I reckon that people don't want to tell Quentin Tarantino what to edit out of one of his movies, you know, yeah, he maybe probably so. tells them, no, I want that in there. And he gets it. I guess, but you would think, as a you know, uh, you would think any good director would realize if a film's too long, it needs to be cut a little bit. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, it was it's a little frustrating. Uh, it's just for such a good film that started off so well and held my interest for so long to 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 just sort of fall off the cliff after thirty minutes. Uh, mm. I, I you know I feel like the story could have ended with some modifications not long after. Um, uh, Dr. King Schultz and uh, Calvin Candy were killed. I felt right. like beyond that, it was just indulgent. So uh, it, it, it feels like it was a a card trick where at the end they don't you know say aha and here you know it's a, it has a nice payoff you know where it's like you know a card trick that has a bad payoff. Oh look, we just chopped off your hand. You know it, it, that, that, that's how it feels <laughs> because. The first half of the film, you get to know all these interesting characters, the interesting scene. You imagine that this is going to be intelligent to the end, that people are going to keep their heads. And this is a quest to find out how can these people keep their heads, keep their cool in doing the insane things that they do. And you imagine they're going to pull it off like something really smart and intelligent, like, you know, some some really well-made stories. I'm thinking of the past 
this film got me caught up in that emo- the emotion of the moment because it it harkens to old films and it made me think these characters seem lifelike considering the exaggerated nature of their story when all of a sudden bait and switch everybody all hell breaks loose people just you know they fly off the handle they're not they're all out to kill each other in extreme ways they're ranting they're raving they're at each other's throats they're going to be mean they're going to be brutal they're going to torture you to death and it, it, it turns into a bloodbath and like you said at a certain point in the film from that point in the film on it was just crazy dangerous and it just ruins it for me first half of the film positively great and then the the latter part of the film positively horrible and, and you know well, I, I mean not, it was I, not it even was just well like- made in some respects to the very end visual effects still great acting still great but the direction of the story itself and where it takes those characters into this dark dismal abyss i could have done without i wouldn't say the last half of the film because i think you're painting with too broad a brush it was really from the point that uh calvin candy and uh dr king schultz were killed that that's when it feels like it starts getting yeah. indulgent i mean for, he, com- for he comes two, back to the yeah. house and kills yeah. everybody that he's uh, we've already had a bloodbath in the house he comes back and i was really frustrated when Django killed the sister like what did she ever do to him now now were you in a packed theater audience was i what were you in a packed theater it was uh i would say it was three quarters full what was the reaction to them killing the sister in your audience? I don't remember. I was I was a little chagrined, so I, I can't. I wasn't paying attention to the audience okay. at the time. Right. Uh, I noticed that for the last, you know, for the bloodbath at the end of the film, which lasted, you know, for at least fifteen minutes, <laughs> at least, uh, that the audience was raving with laughter. They were excited. They were clapping with excitement, just, you know, cheering on the hero. And uh, when Calvin Candy's sister got shot, they there was a huge applause. Why? What, I mean, sure, I mean, she was, I suppose you could say as the sister and not do, saying or doing anything about slavery, she was part and parcel to it, but not really. I mean, what did she do? She, she, she sat around and uh, she introduced... Uh, Carrie Washington's character, what was her name, uh, to uh, to Dr. King Schultz, um, Broomhilda. I know. And, 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 and she ate food. That was it. I mean, what did she ever do? <laughs> I Come know. I, I, was, Honestly, I was frustrated that Django and I would shoot each other. Yeah, my wife and I, we looked at each other when we heard the audience's reaction, and we kind of shook our heads like... We honestly don't get it. She died. Okay, fine. That was, you know, a surprise. But, but we didn't find it that the character was all that especially annoying <laughs> she, yeah. she was relatively innocent compared to a number of the others yeah i, I yeah i just didn't get it that, that that part really bugged me um you know but i think that kind of maybe ties back to the fact that i didn't really care for like like i thought Django's character was a little bit unlikable and he was supposed to be and you know he did things that he was, shouldn't have done to get his wife back uh hmm. you know i guess that maybe that ties in but it was still frustrating to me that he did so uh, speaking of uh, Brumhilda, that that was a character. That's a serious flaw in the film. I felt that character was very underdeveloped. Like we barely got to know her at all. Well, uh, I mean, she was a 
she was a large part a slave that had never had a life. She was stifled from the get-go. What did you expect from her character? I don't know, because there was too many other characters there wasn't time for. I just wish we had gotten to know her a little bit better. Uh, Broomhilda played by Carrie Washington. Uh, I mean, when she was on screen, she was fine and, and good, and I wanted more. Yeah. You know, so I, well, I kind of felt like perhaps the direction was trying to say, you know, these people who grew up in slavery, they've never been able to live life to the fullest. So characters like Calvin Candy, they've had everything that they ever wanted. So he's just a big old brat. He grew up in the lap of luxury. And so he's going to wear yeah. his personality on his sleeve, whereas these slaves are taught from brutal experiences you cannot behave like a human being. You got you got to behave like an object in the background. Yeah. And so I felt like you know, although I see what you're you're pointing out, I would have to disagree because to me, I felt like they were more fa- more or less. It was one of the r- rare characteristics that was fairly true to life that the slaves would basically keep a private life to themselves where they could express themselves. And in the dealings with characters like Calvin Candy and Dr. Schultz, they would be pretty quiet. But then that, I, that made all the more room for Samuel Jackson's character, Stephen to be all the more contrast to the, to the rest of the blacks in the film. Yeah, that's so, true. So yeah, you, you could appreciate his eccentricity all the more. Well, I've got uh, two more things. What have you got? Uh, specifics. I don't know. I guess I just have to agree with you 100% that from the moment that certain characters die in the film onward, approximately leaving the film with 45 minutes left. Was it really 45? I thought it was only about 30, but I could be wrong. It felt longer. Um, well, you know, in a two, a two, hour, a two hours and 45 minutes, it felt like it was the last 45 minutes of the film. But for that segment, it just killed so much of the, the good story and the plot development for me that I just kind of didn't care anymore. At that point, it became a lesser Tarantino film. Up to that point, a greater Tarantino film. Yeah. Yeah, my, my remaining complaints are uh, the, the Ku Klux Klan scene. Uh, and it was obviously played for the humor. Um, I liked it a little bit at first, and then it just went on and on and on and on oh, i loved it and on like, <laughs> okay the joke's over move on <laughs> you know? yeah well okay again characteristic of tarantino films <laughs> you gotta watch some more but well, you, i i know that, exactly what you mean as a newbie new to tarantino the, the, you're absolutely right that's that a one good, that one overstayed its welcome not i mean except for the end of the film before the end of the film <laughs> like nothing else felt like it overstayed its welcome before before the end of the film except for that that was just like whoa dude okay whoa okay stop 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 you yeah. know <laughs> <laughs> crazy right yeah so and i didn't I, well i didn't uh see where it was going and when, when they developed it to the point that the point was the Ku Klux Klan writers <laughs> just simply could not see out of their hoods. It, it was awesome. I thought that cracked me up. It's funny to talk about, and it was funny for about 10 or 15 seconds, but it, it like went on for five minutes. You know what it felt like? It felt like a YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like a, you know something from College Humor. You know, yeah, you're right. It, it, Absolutely, the developing it, it up as you know something very serious and dramatic, and then it gets to a point, and then all of a sudden, it it, it just they bring out the you know the, cla- the laughing clowns, and it was it was pretty funny. Okay, one more thing, uh, and then we can we can move toward wrapping the show up and announcing a winner. Uh, but one more thing, um, the uh, 
Calvin Candy breaking the skull of the of the former slave that he and he he'd saved the skull to what just just to tear it apart and break it and prove a point for uh, Dr. King Schultz and Django. That that was a little bit over the top for me. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> We're supposed to believe that this skull that he's been saving that he's going to tear it apart now just for their, <clears throat> these people's sake. I, I didn't didn't get that at all. The reason it worked for me was simply because I imagined that Calvin would use this whenever he was trying to push a slave back into their place. Or if he ever had to deal with anti-slave trade, you know, political, you know, people, Americans, you know, some other northerner or whatever, that he would threaten them with that little story and he would have, it seemed almost rehearsed. Like, this isn't the first time that Calvin Candy has threatened somebody with the box he pulls out of a skull. Uh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, the, the skull he pulls out of a box. I suppose you and, could uh, say, you could you could make up your own backstory too and just pretend, well, he just has, it's not really that skull, he just has a bunch of skulls around that he uses just for this purpose. I suppose you could do that. Right, right. <laughs> but it was then, a little uh, I, Yeah, I guess I did read into it a little bit there, but because I did, it worked for me. Okay. All right, well, yeah, I didn't like it, but, you know, whatever. Do you have anything else on Django? Uh, well, I mean, anybody and everybody should know by now that, you know, because it is a Tarantino film, expect the same level of garbage excessiveness that you'd always get. That, you know, it's not appropriate for kids. And we heard um, the sniffles and whimpers of a baby in the back row of the theater while <laughs> me and my wife were watching the film. And that just really, really irked us. Yeah, that that doesn't seem appropriate to me. So... Yeah, uh, it's definitely yeah. not a kids movie. No, no doubt, no doubt. And I would hope that our audience would understand that. I, I would think they would. I would right. hope they would. I mean, you know, even so, I'd have to say some of the stuff was so over the top that it, it wasn't like 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 if you if you play it low key, sometimes it's more disturbing. This was just over the top. You know, uh, yeah, it looked blood fake. spattering in fake ways. You know, just the whole all the time. Yeah, you know, like big pools of blood. You're like, oh come on, that's not. This is so fake. You know, right. classic, I guess, from what I'm given to understand, classic Tarantino stuff. But, uh, right. Yeah. And because um, it looks fake, a lot of people just fluff it off and they say, oh, okay, well, that's fake. But then it gets really real when you see Jamie Foxx completely in the nude. Um, yeah. Now, that, you led that, me to believe that scene was more than it was. You said, oh, it's, you know, graphic male nudity. There, I mean, there was a flash of it and he was strung upside down uh, by these guys who were about to kill him and he was buck naked, but I didn't see too much. I reckon it doesn't matter if it lasts for half a second or twenty seconds. I just find it totally gross. And sure, I, I didn't want no, to go no there. doubt, no right. doubt. So anyway, so yeah, you know, it, you're right. It could have been worse, but that doesn't excuse it because it's kind of like you know what that that has nothing to even to do with this movie anymore. Like, yeah, uh, I, I, we're so away right. from. From the story, it's about sensational shock value, and it's like, holy cow, no one's ever done that before in a movie, or something of that nature, just to, to get the, to catch the audience off guard at least one more time, you know, and, and yeah. that kind of stuff, I don't want to, I don't want to see you again. Yeah, I mean, you're right, and and as I think about it, that should have been, I, I didn't make a bullet point for it, because I kind of forgot about it, but you're right, it should be in the bullet points of do not like about this film, and, and uh, it, it came in... One of our listeners, in, he mentioned ahead. in the chat room, uh, one of our listeners, Johnny, he mentioned that uh, yeah, he agrees children shouldn't be there. I just wondered if Johnny could tell us if he had seen the film or not. Go ahead, TJ. Um, 
this this uh, the the part we're talking about where there's a flash of uh, Django completely nude, strung upside down. They're getting ready to kill him, um, with you know with hot knives and stuff. Uh, it comes in the part of the film that I feel like should be cut anyway. So <laughs> it's just too long. It's toward the end. So and and I feel like maybe it's making up for the lack of story. Hmm. But uh, I see Johnny, you first is typing, so we'll hear his answer in a moment. But uh, while we're waiting on that, um, Joseph, having said all that we've said about this film, uh, we've talked a lot about what we liked. We had a lot to talk about in our like section. We've also talked a lot about what we didn't like. So Mm. uh, for you, maybe this is kind of a half and half. What kind of a star rating would you give it? (laughs) <laughs> well, I give it I give it half and half. We we rate our uh, our films uh, up to five stars, and it's not often that I feel relatively neutral about a film. This is the first time in a long time that I'm giving a film two and a half stars, which I consider a median. It's uh, it just means the bad canceled out the good, or the good canceled out the bad, so that at the end of the day, eh. I could take it or leave it. I'm, it was interest. It was interesting, but the bad stuff kind of takes away from my ultimate long-term interest. Mm. So, is this a film that you intend to see again at some point? I, I have. I have no mind to. I okay. don't reckon I'll make a point to get it on uh, home entertainment unless I have a few people in my life that really enjoy action films in general. If somebody came along and said that they really wanted to watch it, I guess I would sit down and watch it with them again. But I'd also let them know my two cents first. <laughs> okay. Well, my rating is slightly higher than that. I started out at a three, and I think I'm going to go with three and a half out of five stars because I really, I really did enjoy the film, and it's worth watching just for Christoph Waltz and Leonardo DiCaprio's performances. I mean, just mm. fantastic. And uh, it's a film that I would like to see again. Let it, let it rest a while. Get it when it comes out on home entertainment and watch it again. Uh, I, I think, uh, I think that'd be good. Uh, Johnny says, uh, "Yes, he did see it. It was okay for me and my dad." So hmm. there you go. I was uh, I was going to mention too. You know, we're actually a little bit below the averages here. I just I, I just find it interesting to know what the general public is saying on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb, and it seems like the general public they're giving it a ninety four on Rotten Tomatoes uh, for the of the Christmas Day movie releases. That's super high. Uh, Lim is Rob didn't do as good, and the critics are giving it an eighty nine. And again, Lamus Rob didn't do as good there either. Mm. And on IMDb, it's got an 8.7 out of 10. And again, pretty dang well done for a Tarantino film. So, uh, you know, take it or leave it. Don't know what to make of that personally. I wish I, I could ask a few people what they were liking so much that like it that much. Yeah, I will say that uh, this film has made me want to look at other Tarantino films. Um you know, and I've known that I should for some time, but uh, I definitely will be looking at some other Tarantino films, knowing, of course, what I'd be getting into, more more uh, blood and gore. That's what you get when you get Tarantino. But uh, anyway, that's that's what we got to say about Django. Mm. Uh, I, I recommend it slightly more than Joseph. So, yes. There you go. We have. We have been, for the last two months, running a giveaway uh, where you can enter to win an HDTV and a one-year subscription to Netflix. Yes. And now, a little bit front, belatedly, you know, go, go ahead. Well, I was just going to mention, you know, let's clarify here. We're talking about a pretty sweet LED 47-inch screen television, and we promoted this all the month of, uh, you know, 
uh, November and Christmas, uh, December. I wanted to call it the, the, the month of Christmas, the month of Thanksgiving and the month of Christmas. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you didn't see this, I am super sorry, people, you know, with time, We'll probably run some other pretty decent giveaways. Yeah. Well, it's, it's why you so. should pay attention to Movie Bite. In addition to the awesome movie news that we post every day, we yes. do giveaways once in a while. Uh, they're usually not right. as now big I'm as this. I'm very proud of this one. Yeah, well, they're usually not this one. big, but this was a big one. So HDTV had quite a few entrants, and so we have a lucky winner. And here's here's what when we announce the winner, here's what you got to do. What and uh, Joseph, remind me. Uh, our sponsor, Liberty Alliance, has a time frame, right, of how long they need they have to get back with us and let us know the details of where to send it and stuff. Yes, if um, the person doesn't get back with us by the end of the week, then we'll find another person to uh, to win. Basically, we'll, <laughs> we'll go to we'll the app. That, we'll go to the app that was running the give that we used to run the giveaway, and we'll say draw again. So yes. you've got till the end of the week. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll just say uh, we'll just say till Sunday at midnight. How's that sound? That sounds good to me. So, the winner. Here we go. Drum roll, please. Can you give me a drum roll? Yes, there we go. Awesome. The winner is Terry Smith. Terry, if you're listening, and we'll also post on Movie Bite tomorrow morning. If you read that, if you're listening, you need to email us at info at moviebyte, M-O-V-I-E-B-Y-T-E dot com. Info at moviebyte dot com. And uh, let us know where to send it, and we'll get you hooked up with your Netflix subscription, and we'll get that TV out to you. Yeah, I promise. I'm going to be the one getting it over to the shipping department to get it packaged and sent away. Yeah, so it's there in the offices soon. of Liberty Alliance with you. So mm-hmm. uh, you will you'll be taking care of that. So uh, we want to get this out to you as soon as possible. Give us an email and uh, we'll get it out to you. Thank you, everybody who signed up and is participating in the giveaway and who participated. I should use the proper tense. Uh, who participated in the giveaway? Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a great great to do. And uh, it, you know, ultimately, it helps Movie Bite keep running, and we we love running Movie Bite. So, um, thank you, Terry. Yes, thank you. All right, and with that, uh, next week we're going to be talking about Promised Land. Uh, we're going to go. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to see it this weekend, and uh, starring Matt Damon. Yes, starring Matt Damon. So we will uh, we'll be talking about that next week, and. Uh, in the meantime, Joseph, as people have listened to you talk about this film, they're probably thinking, what an awesome and smart guy that Joe is, and they'll probably want to keep up with you online. Where can they do that at? Mm, well, I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm humbled by the audience's thoughts you're speaking on the behalf <laughs> of. And, um, yeah, if they want to follow more of me, I'm at Joseph Darnell on Twitter. Go to josephdarnell.com, and it'll take you to my Facebook profile and a personal site is jivingjackalope.com, jivingjackalope.com. And, uh, yeah, I write there about culture, music, videos, whatever, um, you know, technology I like to there. And, awesome. and But then, of course, I also write for Movie Byte. Yes, and yes, people you do. Should you, be, you post belated reviews, but... Yes. <laughs> and, but, of course, the, th- the, the thing is, we really don't, uh, you know mention movie bites you know social feeds enough we're also on twitter with movie bite and yes, facebook you can follow movie bite uh the, on twitter at uh movie bite m-o-v-i-e-b-y-t-e on twitter um facebook.com slash movie bite uh of course you can subscribe to the rss feed uh, uh <laughs> it's been so long since i set that up I, and i subscribe myself let me check on what that is real quick uh that is moviebyte.com slash rss so uh, you can enter that into your uh, feed reader and uh, get all the stuff from Movie Byte in one big feed, uh, the fire hose, as it were. So uh, it's a good way to keep up with it. Now, TJ, where uh, can people find you? 
Yes, you read my mind. Um, you know, I have started uh, for the last two days. It's it's a trend. Uh, I've started blogging again <laughs> at buzzingpixel.com. dot com. Not not anything like uh, the stuff that I post at Movie Byte, where I post try to post at least six things a day if I can. Uh, but you know, one or two items, link list items, and maybe an article or two here and there. Technology and uh, Apple related products and stuff. I'm a big Apple uh, Apple computer fan. Uh, actually, they're just Apple Incorporated now, not Apple Computer, but. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I blog there, buzzingpixel.com. My personal website where I do design work and where you can hire me to do stuff is buzzingpixelcreative.com. You can follow me on Twitter, TJ Draper Pro. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash TJ Draper. I'd love it if you would uh, keep up with our work and support MovieByte. You can find all the show notes for this episode at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 26. So that's that's about it. I think that wraps it up. All right. Until next week. Thank you for a good episode, Joseph. You're welcome. Thank you, TJ.